morning, everyone. It's good to be here. It's good to see you guys. Most of you look really good. No, you all look really good. Um, uh, Anna just talked about the Israel trip, and uh, before we get into uh, the message, I wanted to let you know uh, that next Sunday, following second service, we're going to have a, a pretty brief meeting uh, in regard to the Israel trip. If you are kind of on the fence on whether or not you want to go, uh, or, or maybe you're not sure if those dates work out or whatever, uh, we would love for you to come and meet with us uh, for that meeting. Uh, primarily because right now we have a have a minimum amount of people that we have to get in order for the tour to uh, to work. And so right now we haven't met that medium uh, or that minimum. And so if you're thinking about it or you're planning on going, but you haven't got your deposit in yet, uh, then we need to know. And because we're coming up uh, in a couple of weeks, it's the deadline for our uh, refundable deposit. And so if we aren't able to get enough people to go during these dates, then we're looking at maybe shifting it to the spring. But we are going, and uh, I'm excited about going. And my wife's never been, and so uh, I'm excited to take her with me and, and all of you guys if you want to go, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So actually not all of you, just 40 of you. Uh, that's, the, that's the maximum uh, that we can take. So uh, all right. Uh, hey, uh, we've been gone. Isn't it, wasn't it great? I mean... So here's the thing is we've been gone the last couple of weeks and uh, Pastor Lucy uh, preached for me. Uh, I haven't actually listened to it yet, but I've heard from some of you that she just did an amazing job. Uh, and then Pastor Jeremy last week. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to say this, uh, but there are some kind of church uh, groups or there are people uh, of the faith who... Uh, who don't believe uh, that women ought to uh, be the the teaching uh, pastors in a in a church, and uh, and I and that's obviously not us. Um, and and I would just say, man, if if that was us, we would miss out on such an amazing uh, gifting that Lucy has uh, to be able to share with us. And uh, even here, just sharing and just, I mean, I thought she was going to preach and take all my time this morning. Uh, luckily, she didn't. But she did use one of my favorite passages of scripture because that's why I roll my sleeves up. So you guys can see the muscle and the strength that I have. Um, it's been a while uh, since we've uh, gone through a book in the Bible, uh, just kind of seasonally what we try to do at Lifehouse is... To, Typically, we will do topical type sermon series, but uh, we try to do at least two books a year, uh, go through a, a whole book of the Bible. Uh, and, and so I thought it might be a good time for us to do that. Uh, I've decided to actually revisit a book that I, I've already been through eight years ago. Most of you would not have been here for that. Uh, and so uh, I wanted to revisit it primarily because I think this is uh, a good season for us as a church um, where we're growing and we're seeing lots of new people and, and people are growing in their relationship with Jesus. And this is a good reminder for those of us who have a close relationship with Jesus, but it's also a good reminder for those who are just kind of learning this and, and figuring this thing out. And, and certainly for those people who are just kind of checking things out and trying to decide, is this whole God thing something that I want to be a part of? Uh, I hope that through this uh, series in the book of Philippians, uh, you'll find some things in this that uh, you would want to be a part of. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to be, for the next few weeks, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. It's one of the most beautiful books in the Bible. Uh, it, 
This is the, uh, the first church. So this is a letter written to the first church that Paul uh, planted in Europe. He's uh, in prison. He's writing a letter to a church that he planted in a place called Philippi. And he's, uh, as he's writing this letter, he's really um, sending this to a mature church, a, a church, an already existing church, I should say, in order to help them mature in their faith. Uh, the church was uh, planted in about A.D. 52, and he writes this letter to them, and it's really not a, a long letter. You can read the book in about 10 to 15 minutes, but in it, uh, in, in the chapters in it, 16 times the word joy or rejoice are used, uh, which clearly is the theme of this book. It's, it's all throughout the chapters, and in chapter 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. So the books in the New Testament, they're uh, kind of broken down into groups. Uh, uh, you've got the Gospels, and, uh, and then this particular book, uh, Philippians, is a part of what's called uh, the prison epistles, uh, meaning that all of this group of books were letters written while Paul was in prison. Uh, and so he's penning this letter to this church, to these people that he loves, and he... Uh, it, what's interesting about it is he, he always had this dream to preach the gospel in Rome. Now, Rome at the time was kind of the center of the world. And so he wanted to go preach the gospel in the center of the world. It would be equivalent to uh, preaching the gospel in Tokyo or in uh, New York or in L.A. or in London, like someplace that's like this hub, this center of the world that everybody kind of looks to. And, and he wanted to go and preach there, but his dreams never came true. He never got the opportunity to do that. Uh, he takes a boat ride across the Mediterranean Sea. He was thrown in jail in Jerusalem, takes a boat ride across the Mediterranean Sea, thrown into prison in, uh, in Rome. And when we talk about prison, we're, we're not really talking about, uh, you know, our idea of prison. We're talking about something that would be underground, little to no light. Uh, in antiquity, what they would do is they would uh, chain a soldier to the prisoner, uh, so as to keep them from escaping. And, and so here you, you, you have this, guy, and he's just writing this letter. Uh, and so here he is, he's in the worst of conditions, the worst situation possible. And he starts the letter to his church that he planted with these words, I thank my God. It's not exactly how I would begin my letter when I'm sitting in prison. You know, I begin my letter like, hey, uh, can you send me some smokes to trade? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But it would be something along the lines of more whiny, complaining, like, I'm wrongly in prison. Somebody's got to get me out of here. Uh, I hate this place. The guy next to me stinks. They don't have running water. You know, like all of my luxuries would be in the beginning of this letter complaining to people. Because it's human nature in those situations to cry, to complain, and to have a bad attitude. And what we're going to learn over the next few weeks is how to have joy in the midst of our bad days. Because our bad days are inevitable, right? You, you will have bad days. And, and sometimes we go through bad seasons where it's just this kind of this season of life where it's just, it's awful, it's bad. 
You're like, well, this is depressing. Like, couldn't you be a little bit more positive this morning? Yeah, I'm positive you're going to have bad days. Like, that's the truth. You will have bad days ahead. And, and the truth is, is we don't always do very well through those bad days. Uh, in fact, I'm kind of going through this little circumstance. I'm going to share a little bit uh, later about it that, you know, it's like, how, how do we, in the midst of these circumstances or situations, how do we not allow those things to affect us? How do, we, how do we get through those bad days? See, God's got something for each of us, I think, in the next, today and in the next few weeks uh, that I believe can, can change our lives. So Paul says, I thank God, I thank my God every time I remember you. Uh, I just want to stop there for a second. Kelly and I, uh, we've been on vacation the last couple of weeks. And for those of you who don't know, I'm, my hobby is figuring out how uh, to do points and miles and all of that stuff. And, and so my goal is to always use the minimum amount of points to get the farthest away as possible. And so we ended up in uh, Indonesia, in, in Bali, Indonesia, and, and we used the minimum amount of points, got the farthest away possible, and we were 13 hours ahead there, so uh, our Sunday morning was your Saturday night. And, and I just want to let you know, as, as we were thinking about you guys, because we were thinking about you, not the whole time, don't, don't get a big head about, about yourselves, but part of the time we were thinking about you. And while we were thinking about you, especially on Sunday morning when we would normally be going to church and you were going to sleep to go to church, uh, we prayed for you and we remembered you. And we were reminded of the fact of, of how special this church is. That, that what we have here as a church, and I don't, I don't mean this as any uh, sense of uh, congratulatory thing to me, it, because it really, it's only by the grace of God that, that I get to be the leader here is that uh, this, what, what we have here is a bit of an anomaly. It's not, this isn't common in our culture in America today. And, and the fact that as a church we're growing, and I was reminded of a, a story that I heard about uh, just a few weeks ago, or about a month ago, where we had a family who went on vacation to Europe. And, uh, and a, a while back, like a little over a year ago, um, this, these people had someone in their small group, in their life group. And they were part of their life group, but that person got deployed to Europe. So here they go on a vacation to Europe, and in the middle of their vacation, they take time and go visit this person. Now, I'm more of a selfish person, and if I'm on my vacation, I'm not sure, like, I, I, you know, am I going to go out of my way? But they, they had such a relationship, such a connection, that they went out of their way to go and visit with them. And I thought, who does that? Who? But Lifehouse. They, like, that's what this is. That's what this should be. And maybe we don't get it right all of the time, and maybe we miss the mark sometimes, but, but certainly what we have is 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 nothing short of just a miracle and the grace of God. And so all that to say, as Paul is writing to his, his church, the church that he planted, and he's saying, I thank God every time I remember you, I want you to know that 13 hours into the future, we were thinking about you and remembering you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with this, with joy, 
And, and Kelly and I would agree with this, that because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now, and then Paul says something interesting. He says this, he says, being confident in this. In other words, I'm absolutely sure of this. Like I'm, I'm completely sure that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I believe the same thing. I'm absolutely certain that he who began a good work in each and every one of you will see it through to completion. This is the guy who none of his dreams are happening. Instead of preaching on a stage, he's sitting in a prison. Paul had something more than just happiness. He had joy. See, we're in the pursuit of happiness, right? I mean, we even have a movie named after it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like, that's, that's the American way. That's who we are. We want to be a people who are happy. And so we pursue things all of the time. We're looking for things that will make us happy, that will create an environment in which we can be happy. And I, I think you would all agree that it's really, really hard, and oftentimes it completely fails us. We're in the pursuit of happiness, but it doesn't work out that way. And so what I would say to you this morning is that we can have something that supersedes happiness. Before we get into the, in, in, more into the text, I, I want to give you the difference between happiness and joy. And, and for some of you, this will be uh, common knowledge. Maybe you, you already know this. Uh, but I think as a, just as a refresher, it's important for us to take a look at this and, and really as a foundation know what we're dealing with. Because happiness, and this is in your notes if you're taking notes, happiness is external. You're happy when things outside of you make you happy. When it's sunny out and not 150 degrees outside like it's been the last few days, that makes you happy, right? When you, when you can sit outside and not melt and have your meal, that makes you happy. That makes me happy. But when things are, when it's cloudy or rainy, one of the things that we experienced moving from Spokane to here, we lived in Spokane for seven years, Spokane, Washington, and it was on the dry side of the state. So it wasn't raining all the time, but it was gray for nine months out of the year. And uh, there's this uh, syndrome called, uh, what's it called? Seasonal effect syndrome, right? Is that what it's called? Whatever. It's whatever. But it, you're affected by the seasons. That's what it's called. You're affected by the seasons. So, but what we found is that it affected her. That, that when she, she didn't realize it at the time, but she moves here and realizes that she needs the sun. It was affecting her attitude. I mean, not that she had a bad attitude all the time, but it, it, it affected her. And, and it just does. It, it's an outward thing. It's an external thing that affects you. Maybe it's, you know, you get in a wreck. Someone hits you and it's, it's, it affects you. There's just all these things that affect us on the external. And, and when we look for things on the external to make us happy, oftentimes those things fail us. Whereas joy is internal, meaning it's not based on the conditions of circumstances around you. And Paul has, of anybody, any of the authors of Scripture, Paul has every right to write this Scripture, this book. 
If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists kind of the things that he had to go through. And if you ever get the chance, I just encourage you to, to read that. Read that chapter. But some of the things he lists is that five times Paul had to endure the 39 lashes. And if you don't know what the 39 lashes are, think the crucifixion story. Think Jesus getting beat, right, and almost to death. And Paul endured that five times. He talks about getting hit with a rod, and the picture that I have in my mind, uh, this is kind of a big deal a few years ago, was with uh, in Singapore where they had the caning, right? That's essentially what Paul endured. He endured a caning. And then he gets shipwrecked, and he's, uh, he's floating like a cork out in the ocean for a day and a night, finally makes his way to some land, to an island, he's freezing to death, builds himself a fire, and when he gets, gathers the wood, a snake comes out and bites him. That's like the epitome of a bad day, right? That's, anybody had a worse day than that, right? So, I mean, I, I just have these pictures, like there's a movie out about, uh, it was a long time ago, but it's based upon the true story of people who were uh, out in the ocean just bobbing around for, for a long time, and the sharks, and the fear, and the night, and the noises, and all of those things. That's Paul. That's what he endured, and so here he is, he's, he's going through all of this, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, therefore, we don't lose heart. I lose heart if I, that's my day, right? I mean, if I go through all of that, I'm like, I don't know, just take me, God, I'm done. Like, at the snake bite, it's it. Like, okay, here's your sign, I'm done. But he's saying, therefore, we don't lose heart. We being him, though outwardly we are wasting away. In other words, everything on the external is bad. I'm getting older, right? We're, we're getting older. We're dealing with different seasons in our life. Everything about the external is wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And I would just say to you that this is my hope for us as a church, that we could have an inward dynamic that is different than our outward dynamic. That we wouldn't be conditioned or controlled by the external. Because if we ever get to a place to where the, the external, the outward, determines how we feel on the inside, we are in a lot of trouble. He goes on to say, for our light and momentary troubles... Part of me is like, come on, Paul. Light and momentary. So, so getting shipwrecked, getting caned, five lashes, you know, five beatings of 39 lashes. That's kind of light. Just for a little while. What's the recovery period of a of a lashing, of a 39 lashes? That's not momentary. That, that takes a long time to recover from, and yet here he is. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Joy outweighs the happiness. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what, but on what is unseen, since what is unseen, or what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Another difference between happiness and joy, happiness is based upon circumstances. In fact, the word uh, happiness, the word hap, uh, actually means circumstances or luck. It means luck. 
Like it's, it's based upon the, the circle, the circumstance, the circle that you're standing in, the place that you decided to dwell. That's what happiness is based upon. It's interesting, you, you could take two different people who are maybe going through very similar situations and the, the way that they respond to that situation is very different. One can respond in, uh, in the outward expression or the outward circumstance, the condition in which they're in. The other can, can respond by what's going on on the inside. Joy is based on Christ. So we're going to be invited to explore this relationship with Jesus that can change our life. And it's interesting to me that when we surrender our life to Jesus, there's two things that take place. One is in the supernatural. Like when you make a decision to surrender your life completely to Jesus, there's something that happens inside you that's in the supernatural that I can't explain, I don't fully understand it, uh, it can only be explained as something that God can do through his Holy Spirit. So there's a supernatural thing that takes place. But then, interestingly, there's a second thing that takes place, and it's in the natural, and it's that we, we learn, we grow, we, we, we understand more as we pursue this relationship with God. We begin to learn and understand some things that we didn't know before. And I'm not going to skip ahead too much into the other chapters, but in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, For I have learned, in the natural, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. So although I pray that something of the supernatural takes place in your life over these next few weeks in this series, I also am praying that we will learn to be content in whatever the circumstances. The last difference is that happiness happens by chance. And here, here's the bad part of that is it's not up to you. It's not up to you if it's a good day, right? It's not up to you if the sun comes up or it's cloudy. It's not up to you if somebody runs into your car. It's it just, a lot of that happens by chance. And the problem with that is a lot of what we do as human beings, and it's in our human nature, is we put so much of who we are into things that we cannot control. Whereas joy happens by choice. It's up to you. We have to be careful to not let the things that we can't control, control us. And for too many of us, that's our journey. And it's why we're here. It's why God gave us the book of Philippians. So that we can look at the things from the inside. The thing, we can make a choice to be in joy. I want to tell you a story of someone who uh, had something take place outside of their control. And for some of you, you've probably heard this story. I've used the illustration before, and I was trying to think of a different illustration because I've used it. But really, there's uh, no other better illustration for a circumstance outside of someone's control in which there had to be a deep, deep reckoning with the soul. And it's the story of Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a businessman in Chicago, successful businessman. He, uh, he decides to put his wife and four daughters on a boat and send them to France. 
He couldn't leave at the time. He had some business that he had to attend to. So he was going to follow them four days later and show up and be with them. But he puts his wife and four kids on a boat, or his four daughters on a boat, and sends them. And everything seemed to be going smoothly until a few hours into this uh, boat journey. Uh, on November 22nd at about 2 o'clock in the morning, the boat that was carrying its sleeping passengers over a quiet sea, all of a sudden there were like these two horrific clashes that sounded like thunder and the engine stopped in the boat the ship stood still and passengers were now filling the hallways uh, half naked asking questions that nobody could answer completely stunned and the boat had been rammed by an English vessel called the Lockhearn and so in this tragedy there were 226 fatalities including all four of Spafford's daughters Maggie, Tanetta, Annie and Bessie Anna Spafford uh, was clinging to a piece of the wreckage. She was unconscious when, uh, uh, when she was found. And when the 47 survivors landed in Wales, she cabled her husband. She sent a telegram and said, uh, saved alone, what shall I do? So Horatio immediately booked a, a boat over to be with his wife. And en route, on a cold December night, the captain of his ship called him aside and said, I believe we're now passing over the place where your family's boat went down, which would be most certainly the burial place of your four daughters. And so Spafford stood silently at the rails for a while and then went to his cabin, found it hard to sleep. And he said to himself these words, he says, it is well, the will of God be done. It's where we get the, the song, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a hymn that we've sang for 40 years, that this song, It Is Well, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul, has brought comfort to those who have lost people over the ages. And here is a guy who, something completely out of his control, loses four of his children, is able to somehow, in the eliminate the external and somehow find in the internal the words to muster it as well. See, there, most of what happens in our lives and in our world is out of our control. But what is in our control is the ability, the choice to be able to say, it is well and I choose joy. I mentioned that I was going through something, and I, I actually didn't mention this in, in first service, but I don't know, there's just something kind of stirring up in me that, uh, that I wanted to, to just say it, that I'm experiencing something that, that had external control that I couldn't control uh, that affected me, affected my demeanor, my day. Uh, most of you would not know this, but... Um, so we're a part of a district, and uh, the, the Mid-South District uh, for our denomination, and my dad is actually the district supervisor for that, and uh, he's going to be retiring, which he's super excited about at the end of the year, and uh, they were looking to replace his, his position, and uh, me and two other guys from our district were, uh, were considered uh, for, for his replacement, and uh, so it's been a long process. It's been about three months of, of us. Uh, Kelly and I felt like it was up to us to be obedient, to go through the process. Uh, but we always said that whatever the result, whatever the determination, 
uh, we would trust that that's the Lord. That, that if, if it was our time to transition out of pastoring Lifehouse and, and that was the next season for us, that whatever the case, and it's always kind of been our, uh, our MO as far as our ministry and our relationship with God is to just be obedient, to walk through the doors that he opens and, and let him determine that. And, and so we did. We just said, okay, Lord, we'll just leave this in your hands and the powers that be. And, uh, and so we went through the process and uh, we found out while we were on vacation uh, that it wasn't going to be us and it wasn't going to be any of the three that they're doing something completely different, which I don't know what is. And we're going to be going up on Tuesday to figure that out. But what's interesting is even though we said, God, we trust you, whatever you, know, you decide, if it's not us, we get it, no problem. But I'd be lying if I didn't say it, it hurt just a little bit. It, you know, to, it, it affected me. The, the external, the outward things, things that I couldn't control affected my, not my personality, but it, it, it affected my emotions. It, I thought, oh yeah, it's no big deal, it'll be fine. But then as time went on, I found myself, all I was thinking about, all I was doing, it was affecting my emotions and how I, how I responded and how I talked and all of these things. And that's because if I'm looking for something outside to bring happiness to my life, it will always fail us. It's only when, when we say, God, I'm not going to look at the external, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to Put my faith and my trust in you and let that joy be complete in my life. Now, circumstances didn't work out. It may be how I thought they were going to work out or whatever. And, I, uh, and I'm going to kind of correlate this to Paul to some extent, but not to make you think that somehow I'm stuck in prison uh, because it, things didn't go some way or anything. We totally trust the Lord. We said through the whole process that we are absolutely in love and content with Lifehouse, with our church. And in fact, even had they uh, asked me to do it, I'm not sure I would have said yes. I was, it was, we were juggling that decision uh, for the past couple of months. So I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, but I'm just, I'm, I want to be your transparent leader. I want you to know those things. But I also want you to know that I'm not immune from external things affecting me, just as you aren't immune from external things affecting you. So it was the only other illustration. It surely pales in comparison to Horatio Spafford's, but at least is a personal illustration of which things that are outside of our control can affect us. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you a choice. I've set before you this choice of life and death. I've set before you this choice of blessings and curses. And it goes on to say, choose life. Choose life. Lifehouse, that would be my prayer for all of us, that we would choose life. We have a sign out on the street and on our wall that says, Lifehouse. We have life groups. We have life track. It's not coincidence. My hope is that we would choose life. And 
It has to be much more than just a sign or names or the names of your small groups or whatever. It actually has to be a choice that we, we make, that we are not going to choose the things of this world and death, but we are going to choose life and life abundantly, that we're going to choose the blessings over the cursings that may come. You have a choice. And then going on in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9, there's this prayer that Paul prays over his church that he loves so much. And I want to pray it over you if I can. My, my prayer, Lifehouse, is that, that we would learn the secret to this thing in Philippians, that we would learn the secret to this thing called joy, but that also there would be something of the supernatural that would take place in our life. And so this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul then dives into the content of his first chapter, and the first thing Paul would say to us in figuring this thing called joy out is he would say, you have to first stop asking why. Because we can die in our whys. As long as you stay in your why, we'll never find the solution. We'll get stuck in it. And for too many of us, that's where we stop. We just, why God? Why have you done this? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you allowed this to happen? Why do you do this? Why, do, why does this take place? And, and we get stuck in the whys, wanting answers, needing answers. And the reality is, is when we're stuck in that, you can stay there as long as you want, but you'll find out that there aren't any answers to a lot of the things that we ask. And really, truthfully, the answer to why is because we live in an earth where God has, God never promised that would be perfect. He never promised that everything's going to go our way. Because that's the myth about God, isn't it? That especially in our Western culture, it's like this idea that God just wants to bless me, that God just wants to do all of these things and everything's going to be okay and everything's just going to be smooth sailing. And when it's not happening, we ask the question, why? Well, the reality is God never promised that it would be perfect. But his promise is that you will have bad days and when you have bad days, the one who is perfect will be with you through them. In John chapter 16, it says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So like when you're going through all of those things, if you want peace in the midst of whatever trial you're in, it's in him. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's not a verse we put on our mirror and remind ourselves of every day when we're shaving. You will have troubles today, Ryan Coffey. Good job. Like, we don't do that. We find the ones that talk about God's blessing and all those things, but we forget that he tells us, listen, you're go there's going to be trouble. But I have come as a, on a rescue mission to overcome the world. I've come to be with you in the midst of your troubles. Philippians 1.12 says, 
Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what is happening to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He refused to ask why. And honestly, I've got my own why questions, right? I've got some theological why questions. I've got some just practical why questions that probably will never get answered until we get to heaven. Like, I know you've thought about this, but does Adam and Eve have a belly button? Right? I mean, it's a simple question. We all wonder it because they certainly shouldn't have one unless, I don't know, like maybe, but I'm going to ask him when we get there and be like, just pull it up. I just want to see. And, and just know. So we all have these why questions and, and the reality is, is they probably aren't ever going to get answered until we get to heaven. What we need to start doing, number two, is asking what? What are you doing in this? What are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? That question is where we begin to, begin to discover the great things about God. You realize that God is up to something powerful in your life that wasn't in your plan. Paul wrote a bunch of Bible verse, a bunch of the Bible because his plan didn't work out. His plans didn't work. He's instead sitting in prison instead of preaching from a platform. And because of that, we have the majority of the New Testament. He discovered new opportunities. And every one of our bad days is a new opportunity for what God wants to do in your life. And when we discover that, when we discover the what of what God is doing in the midst of our struggles, it, we experience joy. In verse 13 of chapter 1, it says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole place, throughout the whole palace guard, and to everyone else, that I am in chains for Christ. Since I, I couldn't preach on stage, I'm preaching to the guy I'm chained to, which is like the best audience. They can't go anywhere, right? I mean, it's like, you're just going to preach, this, preach up a storm to this guy because he's stuck to you. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Everyone's hearing him witness to the guard in, in prison and they're all getting their faith strengthened. They're all uh, getting things. They've got now courage to be able to preach the gospel in their, uh, to, to their people. It's, it's just amazing what the what is in the midst of a difficult circumstance. It's taking situations and saying there, there's got to be something good in this. And that's what mature disciples say, that in the middle of something difficult, there's, there's something to be discovered. One of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible is Romans 8, 28, and it says, and we know, and, and, and Paul's writing this, and he says, and we know, meaning what I'm about to tell you is true. Like, I know it to be true. And, and I would tell every one of you that I know this to be true because I've seen it and I've experienced it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that. Unfortunately, it doesn't feel very good in the middle of our circumstance. Oftentimes, you lose a loved one and someone quotes us that scripture and says, listen, we know that all things are going to work out for the good of those who love him. This is God's got a plan for this. He might, but it really, really hurts right now. And so I'm going to unfriend you on Facebook. It's like, like, 
because that's not what I need right now. But it doesn't make it any less true. It's true. This, we know this to be true, that, that even in the midst of whatever circumstance, whatever circle you're standing in for this moment, he will work that out to be good in your life means even your situation. I know it, and I know that it's true. And Paul takes us then to his last principle. There's an art form in this. We stop asking why. We start asking what. And then we've got to change what we're looking at, and we've got to refocus on what really matters. A lot of things matter to us. But what really matters Like in the grand scheme of things, in light of eternity, what really matters? There were these churches who, after Paul's church had kind of grown and risen up and things were going well, there were these other churches that uh, that started and, and they were jealous of Paul's church. They didn't like it. They didn't like Paul. He was probably brash, kind of a in your face kind of guy. They didn't like him. They, they talked bad about him. They were starting rumors about their church. It, it, just, it was just bad. And, and, and so what's interesting is in Philippians 1.15, Paul addresses this. He says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former, those other guys, uh, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, uh, sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But this is Paul's response. He says, but what does it matter? In light of eternity, what does it really matter? That is Greek for saying, who cares? It doesn't matter. So what? And, and I think as as, as a church, as Christians, we've, we've got to be really cautious and really careful that we don't get caught up in what other people are doing, what the motivation is for other churches. As long as there's Christ is being preached, then, then it doesn't matter. We don't need to worry about the motive. We that's not for us to deal with. But I think it's easy for us, especially in social media today, to really just start hammering on, on the why and the motives and this and that. And it's like, you know what? In, in eternity, in eternal things, that stuff doesn't matter. No one on their deathbed says, I wish I would have cleaned my house more. Or I, w- I wish I would have worked harder and made more money. Those aren't eternal things that matter. So in the, in the grand scheme of things, in the, in the eternal, what really matters, well, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true motives, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul doesn't get caught up into the pettiness and the arguments, and all of that nonsense. He decided not to let those churches and those leaders get him down with all of that. Because few things really matter in light of eternity. And Paul decided he made a choice to have a different attitude. 
Paul, we're going to lock you up. Great, I've got half of Colossians finished. That'll give me the time to finish it. Right? I mean, that's his attitude. Okay, well, if that doesn't affect you, Paul, we're going to kill you. Awesome. Let me, now you can figure out for me this dilemma that I've been in in verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So either way, you're going to solve that problem for me. And now I'll know. I'll know the dilemma. I'll, I'll know the solution to the dilemma. What do you do with someone who has that kind of attitude? It's like, yeah, kill me, don't kill me, throw me in jail, don't throw me in jail. Nothing. You don't do anything with them. There is no way that they can lose with that kind of attitude. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heaven, uh, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're going to rescue me? Or I'm going to go to heaven? The answer is yes. Either way, I win. When you know God, you can't mess up. When your relationship with God, when, when you're so connected to him, then the external circumstances don't affect you at all. When you know Christ, you're in a win-win situation. And that's why... No devil in hell can rob us out of our joy. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, we learn this, we study this, but it's easier said than done. It's easy for us to look at it in, in, in our minds, say, yes, that makes sense. But then dealing with the emotions and dealing with the external, dealing with the, the circle, the circumstance, the circle in which we stand, that's when it becomes challenging. I got my prayer for every one of us is that we would learn this. We, we, would, we would learn to be content. We would learn this, these principles that Paul is teaching us that to live is Christ and to die is gain, to, to, to no matter whether I'm sitting in prison or I'm sitting at work or whatever the case, that, that you are what bring us joy. God, I pray that we would learn that today and over the next few weeks. But, but God, my prayer is that there would be something supernatural that would take place in our hearts and in our minds. Something beyond just knowledge and information. Oh, that's great. But that there would be something of your Holy Spirit that would instill in us, stir up in us, something of pure joy in our lives. So much so that when we walk out these doors, people recognize that something's different about us. I want to pray for you for a couple different things. I want to pray for whatever your circumstances are. But before we do that, I want to pray for those who maybe don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you've kind of been checking things out. You've been kicking tires and checking pressure and all of those things and just trying to see, is this Christianity thing? Is this God thing something that I want to be a part of? 
I'm here to tell you that I don't know how you get through this life without him. And so I want to give you the opportunity to surrender your life to him today. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want me to include you in that prayer, I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand and say, Ryan, will you include me in that prayer? And I'm just going to, I'll help you with the language. But ultimately, you have to pray. It has to be an act of surrender from you to the Lord. So is there anyone here this morning that would say, Ryan, I, I want to have a relationship with God and I would like you to include me in that prayer. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. Okay, good. I see your hand. Anybody else? Well, Father, for this one who would genuinely just say, I want to surrender my life completely and fully to God. I want to give you the language for that. And maybe for some of us here, this is just a great reminder of the commitment that we made in our surrender to the Lord. And it's simply saying, God, I surrender to you. I don't just give you part of who I am or this part or that part. I, I give you all of who I am. I've been leading my life in my own ways. And today, I ask that you would be the leader of my life. Forgive me for living my life in my ways, in my will. God, from this moment on, I look to you as my leader and I ask that you would guide me and lead me in the name of Jesus. And I want to pray for for you who are here, who maybe you are in a circumstance, the circle that you're standing in is less than ideal, is a struggle. You're in, a, in the midst of a, uh, a battle and fi are finding it really hard to find joy in your life. Would you just be bold and just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. That's what I'm going through. Yeah, there's lots, lots of people in this room. Well, Lord, I pray for every hand that is raised. And I don't know all of their circles. I don't know what their circumstance is. I don't know what it is that they're going through, but you do. You know our innermost being, you know our hearts. And as Jeremy said earlier, we know that you love us. And God, my prayer for every hand that's raised is that that there would just be this, this confirmation, this moment, even now, supernaturally, that, that they're not going to let whatever that thing is on the external, whatever that circumstance is, rob them of their joy. They may not be happy. It may be a season of sadness. It may be a, a time of lamenting. But, but inside, in their soul, they could say it is well. And in inside in their soul, they could say, this is right where I'm supposed to be. God, that's my prayer for every hand that was raised, every acknowledgement that they're going through something difficult in their life today. In Jesus' name.